loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Deb Hart. Deb lives in a floating home on the Columbia River in Fairview, Oregon. On August 2, 2006, when he was just 22 years old, her son Casey died while living his dream as a tugboat captain in Alaska. Seven months later, she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer, intensifying the life changes that grief had brought. Deb now works two part-time jobs while volunteering in the areas these experiences brought to her. As a breast cancer survivor, she raises donations for other breast cancer survivors by organizing events throughout the year with her nonprofit Pink Sisters Inc. She's also a hospice volunteer at local hospitals. Her, her at local hospital. Her memoir, Tug at My Heart, Pink is the New Black, chronicles the story of her loss, losses. Welcome, Deb. Hi there. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Glad to have you. So I guess we we could start at the beginning of the story with the death of your son. Uh, can Can you kind of describe that experience for the listeners? The beginning of it. That was that was truly the loss of a child who had been groomed in the tugboat industry all of his life. We, his mom and dad, were uh, a part of the tugboat world. And at 22, he got his credentials, and he was the youngest child ever to receive a Coast Guard license on the Columbia River. And he could have went to work for his dad, but he wanted to go to Alaska because he was a hunter and a fisherman. And that experience with that nightmare phone call early in the morning that he was found dead on the boat in Anchorage was absolutely horrifying and something I'll never, ever forget and life-changing. And that's where it started and that's where my whole life and his dad's life totally changed. A, a common experience I hear is sort of before and after, and of course that's familiar to me too. There's sort of uh, before my wife died and after my wife died, um, and they're very separate uh, separate times in some way. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about, that just um, different life from that moment, moment on? Exactly. You know, I always refer to it as the memories stop because <clears throat> they do. They don't go on unless the mom or the dad or the sibling carries on memories without the child being there and being present. But a lot of people, after they've gone to a funeral, put the card in the basket then it's over for them. And then the nightmare begins for us. 
And that fits mm-hmm. truly on how to navigate through life without your precious loved one. You say something interesting, the memories stop. What I take that to mean is there are no new memories with that person in this life. Um, That's correct. And That's and at the same correct. time, it, it's clear to me, having having read that you have many, many, many memories. Or, and, you know, be, being that I work in, in mental health and I think about memory a lot, those memories continue to potentially be lively is that is that true in your experience it is but oftentimes people don't know if they should talk about him or not and so the memories of your child usually are lived on in a private way because people don't want to upset you and they don't want to bring him up because they know he's deceased, but they don't know how to uh, continue his life or do we want to, as parents, continue his life. And the best years of my whole life were raising my children. And mm. so for me, I every bit of healing that goes on in my life are usually wrapped around Casey. Um, that's why I live in a floating home. I watch the tugboats go by, and that's healing. I think you're you're talking about something. Of course, I've heard many times, but it always bears repeating. Um, and I'd like to take it a step further. Is there any time it would be wrong for someone to um, talk to you about Casey, where it wouldn't be welcome? <clears throat> well, not in my case. Now, we are all individuals and we are all different. But in my case, I believe the whole room lights up when I talk about Casey. You know, something strange the other day, I was talking to a friend and she said, Deb, you never say anything bad about Casey. Did he ever do anything bad? And, you know, it kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. It's like, whoa. I think anything that he did do that I didn't approve of is totally out of the memory bank because he's gone and all I ever do is dwell on all the amazing things that he did and the funny things that he did. And the person that he was just on a real fast track to become a tugboat captain like his dad. That's that's really, uh, you know, there's this phenomenon in memorials where um, often there's nothing negative said about the person, um, regardless of whether they were easy, hard, or indifferent. And uh, I think you're... Uh, sometimes people explain that in terms of kind of not wanting to speak badly of the person, but I think often it is that that life um, difficulty, whatever it was, tends to wash away in some sense. It it just doesn't seem important sometimes, and exactly. th- that's what I that's what I hear in what you're saying. I'm sure he was a normal little kid and. 
Sometimes you wanted to do this (laughs) and he wanted to do that or (laughs) whatever. But, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) and I'm sure if you, if you tried, you could probably remember those moments, but I wonder if they don't seem a little irrelevant. They do. They totally do feel irrelevant. And, you know, just, um, yeah, there's never a time that I wouldn't in, entertain the um, idea of being able to talk to talk to anyone about Casey and share who Casey was. And like I said, it's just all about healing for me, and it does heal me. I know in fa- at family gatherings, <clears throat> I'm the elephant in the room, and oftentimes, you know, family and friends around me don't know if they should talk about him or shouldn't talk about him because they don't want me to cry and they don't want me to be upset. And for the longest time, I didn't do any holidays just simply because I felt like we set the table and there was one place setting and there was nobody there. And that affected me. So in the past, Three or four years now, I've been doing different gatherings, mostly friend gatherings, and it's okay to um, share uh, the stories about Casey if someone brings that up. I don't cry like I used to cry. I've healed some, and in the beginning when people would say time would heal, I would look at them with such a puzzled look on my face with, how do you know that and why are you saying that to me? But I believe that to be true, that time has healed a little bit of the loss of Casey. Either that or I've learned to just live this life without him. And be okay with knowing that I do have my life to live. And I could have stayed bitter and angry, but I've made a conscious decision to push through it and move forward. Well, you know, you're bringing up something I've, I've thought about many times and you're bringing it up freshly, um, which is the, the idea that it's... Um, somehow the idea is not to cry when, of course, tears honor the love you had for him um, on on one level. You know, it's, it's uh, what is it, almost 22 years since my, since my wife died. And when something <clears throat> touches me and I cry about her, I, I sort of feel um, grateful uh, because it's a continued in a way that she matters to me, I suppose. Um, but people, we do have, there is sort of a pressure to get over crying and get over being upset, isn't there? There is, and I think from a parent's standpoint, <clears throat> excuse me, we feel in our hearts that if we're happy, then we should, share with everyone in the world that the grief is gone and we're just fine again. So we kind of have that stigma that sets in that we can't smile, we can't laugh, we can't be happy ever again. 
And that's a real hard thing, and I've watched parents struggle with that a lot. And I struggled with the other end that five years. You mean the other end that if you if you seem joyful or happy, you're um, somehow not upset about it anymore. Exactly. Yep. That's Mm -hmm. catch twenty two. Then don't cry too much, but also don't be too happy. <laughs> Where are you supposed to go with that? One thing yeah. you said in your book that that sort of relates to this, you said, "I'm still so fragile. Grieving fills my days. My eyes fill with tears often, and the hurt is like no other. He's always on my mind. You can't take pain away, but it helps when you are there. What we're talking about is the part that says it helps when you're there. And, of course, if people are avoiding the subject, they're not quite there. Everyone's aware of it, but no one's speaking. Exactly. It's kind of, in a way, a situation of people don't know what to say. And for me, not saying anything has been the worst. I mean, Mm -hmm. action speaks so loud. Were you there? Did you call? Did you come over? Did you sit quietly at the edge of the bed? Were you present? Or did you avoid me at the grocery store? And did you not call me because you didn't know what to say? And did you stop sending cards because you didn't know what to write? You know, I've... I've, um interviewed several guests who write about that, this at serendipis, serendipitously lately, and everyone agrees um, it's fine to say, I don't know what to say. Yes. Somehow yes. that doesn't occur. Uh, <clears throat> there are no words, uh, or I don't know what to say. That moves people more than all the kind of false comfort, doesn't it? It does, and it angered me with some of the things that people would say, like he's in a better place. Hey, I believe in God, too, but you know what? The best place for Casey was right here on Earth with me. I mean, you could not... Also, that ignores you. Whether you believe he (laughs) is or you don't believe he is, you're not. You're hurting. You're missing him. Yeah. You you've lost him in this world. That's to me beyond beyond belief system. That's what that ignores. That yeah. you're going to have to adjust to an extremely different life. Yeah, and you know, oftentimes I just wanted so badly to be able to say to someone who was trying to comfort me with all the wrong words. You know, just close your eyes and for one minute I want you to think about losing one of your children. And I will guarantee you that you will open your eyes within seconds because it's too painful of an experience. Mm -hmm. And this is a day in, day out, 24-hour a day journey that I'm on. And it's tough. I mean, it's just really tough. It took me a long time to really realize that I could not make people understand 
the lonely journey that I was on because they had no idea, because they had no concept of it, because it wasn't their journey. And, and it took me a long time to finally get that through my thick head that they're never going to get it. <laughs> and in a way, that's a mercy for them. But not for you, you know, yes, it makes, it put, puts you in a, a lonely place. The other thing I was thinking of as you were talking is that it invites people who who haven't, haven't asked for it to become leaders in a certain way. If you're going to get the support you need, you have to lead other people to it because they don't know how to do it. And exactly that's a really right. hard, hard position to be in when you're feeling so vulnerable. Yeah, <clears throat> there's there's so much to it. Uh, sometimes I block some of it out too, just to again not relive the pain. And I think that's a normal thing for parents. Um, I don't know dad grief. I know mom grief, but I've talked to many moms, and I believe that that's a very common thing that we block out certain parts of the grief because there's so much time that we spend alone because nobody, you just, you're positive no one has gone through this. You just, I didn't know anyone in my circle of friends. Let's pick that back up when we get back from our first break, that that idea of how you find support when nobody is sharing your experience, what what does um, get through, what does help you feel supported. And listeners, during the break, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Deb Hart at Inspirational Deb Hart, D E B H A R T dot com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Deb Hart, whose son, Casey, died inexplicably at 22 years old. And Deb, during the break, you were saying that a friend of yours um, had said, why open that can of worms? Why come on my show, basically? And we were talking about just uh, the failure to understand that, uh, for myself as well, that... um, Making some sense out of what happened, being able to talk about the people you've lost, uh, keeping it in your life is is essential, in fact. Um, if you haven't been through the experience, I think that's hard to understand. You know, when I say to people that I'm a grief counselor, you know, they'll say, oh, why would you want to do that? It's so sad. But for me, it's it's something that I have to offer because of my experience, and it's it doesn't feel sad to me. I hear you. I oftentimes people say to me, "And why do you do hospice?" Uh, it's just the giving back part. You know, I went through my whole life not really understanding what a true volunteer was, because I never did any volunteer work, a little bit at the school when the children were small. But really, I emerged myself in business and was always working. But I'll tell you that I have learned the true value of hospice volunteer, which I dearly, absolutely love, walk away from there knowing that I'm alive and I've made a difference in someone else's life and it might have just been sitting quietly and watching them look out the window. But volunteer, being a volunteer, and I volunteer a lot for Pink Sisters because I don't have an income through Pink Sisters. We just only have a $10,000 budget. And we offer retreats for women, and that's what we spend that $10,000 on, and 60 women benefit from our program. But I am here to tell you that I love, love, love watching those women get out of their cars, be a little vulnerable, say, what have I done to myself by entering into someone's home with eight other women that I don't even know? What? Why? Why did I even want to think that I would do this and me be the host and me be the house mom and me be the jewelry maker and I am the chef and I am the hostess I'm the person who takes them on the hike and that volunteer work that I do feeds my heart and my soul and I love it no money no money could pay you what you receive in your heart and your soul. 
Well, that makes a connection with another thing you were saying on the break, which is that your relationship to money and things completely changed when Casey died. Would you talk a little about that? It did. You know, I always thought that the BMW and the garage and the 200 acres and the gorgeous home up on the hill and the trips to Nordstrom and the Gucci bag and the very best in clothing were really where it was at. And I'm telling you, after Casey's death, I truly was leveled. And I quickly learned the lesson of when I die, I want to leave a legacy. And it's a legacy of what did I do? I helped hundreds of women with breast cancer. And I was a beacon of hope for moms who'd lost children. But it wasn't that Deb always looked put together and worked a hundred hours a week at her mm-hmm. job. So now we've we've kind of moved into talking about your cancer diagnosis too, because that was such a very brief time after your son's death. That uh, that must have you know you were already on your knees, and then you got flattened, is how I think about it. Um, can you can you talk about that a bit? I was I was flattened, you know, and I was a bad patient. I was the breast cancer patient that walked through the oncology office and sat across from the doctor and the doctor said, you must have fight, you must be fighting for your life and you must have hope in front of your face. And I would rip down the hope in front of my face and look over at him and say, do you know anything about grief? Well, I lost my son. And I'm not feeling like fighting for my life. And a matter of fact, I'm hoping I'm going to die from this. Mm. And, you know, doctors look at you. Oh, my goodness. They know (laughs) a lot about chemotherapy and radiation and breast cancer treatment. But, boy, when they see someone come through with maybe a little mental health starting to show up because of the loss of a child... They don't know what to do. In fact, they're hoping probably that you would go somewhere else. Probably to me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which then is another another injury because um, you, there was a section in your book where you were talking about having to fire healthcare professionals and it wasn't about them being incompetent. It was entirely about them being inhumane. Um, just not, well, there was a little incompetency when it came to the nurse trying to get in your pick line, but but mostly it was inhumanity. It was failing to meet you as a human being, I felt. That just makes such a difference. It does. And I think every doctor should, every oncologist, should really take in consideration mind, body, and soul. And mind is a big piece of it. And so is your body and, of course, your soul. But, you know, oftentimes doctors are 
in such a hurry in the oncology world because, boy, I tell you what, there's a lot of breast cancer, and they're diagnosing every day. And they don't want And they're not to they're have, not getting paid for that time either. The time true. it takes that's to that's really listen true. to someone and meet them as a person. Um, there there's an economic there, aspect, isn't yeah. there? Exactly. They're just only seeing you as a cancer patient, not as a grief strucken mom who's lost their child just seven months ago who could care less that they were diagnosed with breast cancer because that was the farthest thing on my mind. And really, with the mindset that I had, I had a lot of friends who just kept me going through the system, kept pushing me through the system, kept helping me get through the system because I could have cared less to go to a chemotherapy treatment. I could have cared less that I was going to have both of my breasts removed. I could have cared less because I was so yeah. taken over by Casey's grief. You know, that, that deepens um, the sense of meaning in, a, in a, another little passage from the book where you said, even though words and actions will never be able to remove the ache of grief, not showing up or not saying anything is the worst. In your case, people just showing up and helping you navigate because you couldn't navigate yourself was life-saving, could we say? It was life-saving. Now, there there had to be, just one more word, there had to be some part of you that was interested in living or you would have refused the treatment entirely, I suppose. But you weren't in touch with it. I really wasn't in touch with it. I was so taken over by Casey, so consumed by Casey, and so consumed by Casey that I want to share with you that I also lost the relationship with my daughter, who's four years older than Casey, and she needed me during that time. But to tell you the truth, I was hanging on by my fingernails to life because mental health had taken over and I was just in such a bad, bad way and I'd never felt uh, like I was maybe in a suicidal way of thinking at times. But my daughter needed me. She needed me so much. And I just wasn't there for her. And she, at this point in her life, we do not have a relationship because she pretty much has said, you are not there for me, Mom. I needed you. And so at this point in our life, we don't have a relationship. I'd do anything to have that relationship, trust me. But, but, that, I but that's, a two, that's a two-way street, isn't it? It is, but I own she, it. I say, you know, I wasn't there for her. I wasn't there because I, too much thing, too many things were happening to me. I felt like I was down and then I was kicked down a little farther, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of, um, not kind of, I had hurt some of my friends too by saying, you just don't get it, you don't understand it, don't call me anymore, blah, blah, blah. And then seven months later, I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm alone now. I'm really going to be alone now. 
And those friends who I kicked them away from me came back and said, we're here. We, we, we want to get you through the breast cancer. We want to help you. But it was like, man, I don't even care if I get through the breast cancer. Mm. You know, the biggest thing in front of me is Casey's death, that grief, that grief. What I appreciate about our conversation is that, um, you know, I know you have a, a life that's meaningful to you and you're really deeply describing how how low grief can take us. And I yes. think sometimes when people have come tr- through it, um, they maybe stop sharing that. But it's so important for people grieving now, you know, people that hear your story, that it's it's no easy thing to come through that. It's it's wrenching and it's difficult and uh, it goes on for a long time before it's better for many, many, many people. And in a way, that's what you're describing. And, you know, for me, it was a lot of loss. It was loss of my breath, loss of my health, loss of my hair, loss of who I was, loss of Casey's life, loss of my daughter, a marriage went bad, loss of friends. Loss is in so many ways there are there is loss and grief. And you know, I just hate it when these doctors give us all these different drugs to help us with depression. Because I want to tell you that I firmly believe in my heart that there's a difference between grief and depression. And grief, we just have to trudge through it, oh, as painful as it is, we have to. And yes, we can have a little help along the way by the medical field, but it's not usually depression. It's just grief. And it's ugly grief. Mm. Uh, well, I, I, anyone who's listened to the show knows I agree with you on that, that there is a, a deep <laughs> difference. And But it puts you in a kind of an upside-down world, doesn't it? Um, all the things you think mean everything's okay, like feeling good, like um, having energy, like um, being excited about stuff. In, in grief land, it's quite the opposite, that you're kind of more likely to be dealing with it if you're feeling bad and, you know... Um, of course, if you're feeling bad, absolutely every minute of every day, that might be depression, but most people in grief aren't. You know, it's know, more in of a... the beginning, I think I was. <laughs> uh, of course, but as you move, yeah. move, of yeah. course. It um, but I can, I can tell... Time. <clears throat> it really took me a long time. I, I got stuck. You know, and you're so, a counselor. Stuck. So what do you think? Stuck. What do you think did um, keep you moving in grief, if you will? Uh, because well, you did keep moving. You didn't, you know, obviously feel better for a long time. But what do you? What did get through as a little bit of a support to you? 
I went to Compassionate Friends about five times. One of my counselors had recommended that, and that was not a good thing for me. I didn't learn anything. I wanted to know that I was going to get better, and I felt like most of the people there were stuck, and that was just the chapter I went to because I do believe Compassionate Friends is a great organization. But I didn't feel like it was going to help me there. I came across the greatest counselor in the whole wide world, and she had never lost a child and had had not actually counseled anyone who'd lost a child. But I am telling you what, she was the greatest listener ever. And there was many times, and I would go there two times a week, and then we'd have phone counseling too. And there were times when I walk in her office and I'd say, you're not going to get an opportunity to say one word. I, my backpack is so full, it's bulging. I have to unload my backpack, sit back, relax, and let me go. And she would go, <laughs> okay, Deb, I'm ready. And well, I would just release <clears throat> counseling so, uh, biggest thing for me this deserves more time than we have before our break um the power of listening um the the people who investigate post-traumatic growth growth believe that being witnessed is what favors it having someone really listen so um we'll come back to that as soon as we're done with the break and and listeners, you can find me at my website, weatherandgrief.com. You can find Deb Hart at inspirationaldebhart.com. And we will be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Deb Hart, author of Tug at My Heart. And um, 
Deb, I, we were talking before the break about what did help you, um, what what did contribute to being able to put one foot in front of the other. And I just loved the picture of you walking into your therapist's office and saying, I have a big backpack full. I don't need you to talk. I just need you to listen. Sit down and buckle up, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I... I, you know, I do think even even us therapists can get caught up in in the desire to fix something, and yeah. forget that actually maybe the most valuable thing is is deep, attentive listening. Yes, I believe that to be true too, and I think it was a new experience for her to work with me. You know, the grieving mom. Uh, after, uh, actually, I stayed with her, um, and, you know, we're good friends to this day, but I went to her for about three years, and uh, many times throughout the three years, she would just say at the end of our session, Deb, you've taught me so much. (laughs) You have taught me so much more than any book or any professor could have ever taught me. This is an invaluable lesson that I've been learning from you. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity of being able to help you help me. And mm. that's that's pretty cool, too, you know, when you have someone who actually admits that, you know, you've, you've taught them some things, too, because, you know, it wasn't her specialty, that by any means. Yeah. So. But you must have had a sense... Because I don't imagine that you would have stayed with her, that she could get there. That that if you were kind of clear about what you needed and um, just told the truth, <laughs> that yeah. she would be able to really hear. And I I'm hoping that helped you to feel a little less alone. It did. <clears throat> uh, you know I. I had an opportunity, I did chemotherapy with um, a woman and she, her name was Najla and Najla had a friend who had lost her brother and her mom had uh, went to, or, or someone had given her the uh, video and it was called The Motherland and it's about uh, eight women who go on a mission and I Najla met me one day for coffee and she handed me the movie and she said, I want you to take this movie home and, and view this movie. And I did. And at the end of the movie, it said, if you were interested in going on a grief trip, you could contact this company out of California and uh, they do grief trips and it's called Project mm-hmm. Grace. And I did. I contacted them and they were having a trip and it was going to Greece. 10 islands, 10 days, two catamarans, and it was, um, Brian, I'm on the phone. So anyway, I got to go on this trip to Greece, and it was an amazing trip. It was nine other moms who had lost a child, and I just was validated, validated 100% through and through with every part of my journey. These were nine moms that spoke my language. 
Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of healing that went on on that trip. Of course, the Mediterranean Sea was healing, but more than that, it was just a healing trip of being able to uh, be able to say, you know, I, I I need to move forward now, and how am I going to move forward? And it was perfectly clear when I got home that I needed to take all of the um, attention off myself and stop thinking about Casey's death and be able to um, help other people. And that came through being able to um, uh, start um, by investigating a nonprofit. And I started a nonprofit called Pink Sisters, and that's what we do. We, you know, help 60 women have a weekend without cancer, breast cancer only, and I have a board of directors that help me make all the decisions. We have a very low budget. We have a floating home that we do these amazing retreats and do some water sports and some boating and hiking and jewelry and art and and so that's what my nonprofit does and that truly helped me stop dwelling and stop being stuck in that grief it just helped me get going in a new direction a new focus and that's where the volunteer uh, skill became so sharp in Deb Hart. It was just so clear to me that I didn't need to work anymore. I just need to volunteer because money doesn't buy what volunteer pays. It just doesn't. The the other thing I hear between the lines there is that that, you know, um, of course, everyone I talk with on this show pretty much has made something of service out of their loss. And you're describing that too. But you're also talking about timeliness. Like if someone had told you right when Casey died, uh, go give service and, and everything will, you know, sort out. That would have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, that that wouldn't have been possible, you know. Uh, but the the moment came, and you don't know exactly when it's going to come. But you kind of followed your breadcrumbs, and um, yeah. a- and eventually it came. That moment where you said, "This is what I want to do." It was perfectly clear on that trip. Perfectly clear, and those nine other moms, I just felt like, wow, they had all made something out of their loss of their child. We all so they, celebrate they our in, child's... They had inspired you in some way by how they exactly. had lived, how they had incorporated the loss of their tr- child. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and many of them had wrote books, and I'm no writer my book is a very simple book. In fact, I hired a ghostwriter to write my book for me. I recorded some very painful journal-type pages that I had scribbled in, basically, and 
then the ghostwriter wrote the book for me, and most of them had wrote a book on their loss of their daughter or son, and many of them had years um, ahead of me, and, and, and with intensity of listening skills, when I would say, here's how I'm feeling, they would only nod their head and let me continue to talk. Because but that nod can be a really important. It. That nod can be a really important nod, though. Yep, I've been oh, there. Yeah. Is, is that nod right? <laughs> uh huh. Yes, I recognize that. I say I, there are no words because there are no words for the person who is not going through this. That means breast cancer. That means loss of a child. That means loss of health. That means loss, any kind of loss. There are no words because there are no words because you don't know how that person's feeling. But you can acknowledge that and say, there are no words, but touch them gently and just let them know. This, isn't wor- this is not lip service. This is from my heart. I care and I want to be there for you. And don't give them a chance to say, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Hey, I'm in the area, I have a latte, and I'm stopping by. And Mm. you stop by. Was there anyone who really actually did do that kind of thing with you? Were there any exceptions? Or did you live? Yeah? There was. There was some exceptions. Um, My friend Mary, my friend Patty... Patty lost her son, Brent. Mary was just a strong Christian and just was no way, shape, or form going to leave me alone and called all the time, text all the time, and didn't give me a choice, just said, I'm on my way out. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I would say, oh, Mary, you've got other things to do. You don't need to come out. She'd say, I'm in the area. I'm coming by. And if it's presented that way, then you're somewhat okay with it. It's like, well, she's just in the neighborhood, so it's okay, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Isn't it funny Patty, how this idea of not wanting to trouble people continues even yeah, when you're the one with the biggest thing to handle, that you were still in the back of your mind thinking, oh, I don't want to put her out. You know, the art of receiving is a very hard lesson. It is Mm, such a hard lesson. It is such a hard lesson. I've been that person who had to learn that lesson twice, first with Casey's death and then with breast cancer. And, you know, I vowed to never, ever, ever send another sympathy card out without a hanky in it, not to a man so much, but to a woman who's lost her mother, her, her child, her auntie, her whatever. Because I'm telling you, that was the greatest gift I ever received was a hanky in a card because there is no tissue paper, there is no Kleenex that will take care of and handle the amount of tears that flow from the loss of my beloved Casey. 
I have a hanky to this day that stays in my purse. It's in my purse. <laughs> it's just, it's a standard thing for me. <laughs> it's it's so magical the different ways people find to honor their grief if they allow it. That's that's a perfect example. You know that that tissue that's still in your purse honors your grief, doesn't it? It does. It truly does. And maybe yeah. the person, someone sent it to you. Is that right? With the message, n- there are no, there's no Kleenex that's sufficient. Here's a, here's a hanky. Um, so it that's wasn't exactly just right. receiving the handkerchief; it was also receiving that message. I'm guessing. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I talk in the book about streaks on my face, and I had. One streak that was really, really bad, and it was just red. It was just a tear streak from the tears that had that that I had cried over Casey's death. And I was never a crier. I didn't cry. I, that's just I, I that just wasn't part of my makeup. But for about six months, I had this streak right on my face. It was a burn. It was a burn mm. from those salty, salty tears that had just fallen from those eyes mm-hmm. from the tears that I had shed from Casey's death. And trust me, that hanky really came in handy. I don't even know yeah, who gave me hanky, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I, I, can, I can very much imagine that. Um, and, you know... Rain washes everything off. Tears kind of, they're they're cleansing on a certain level. Um, True. They're not to mention necessary. You know, I want to end with with, uh, something you said in your book. It's about time for us to go. I'm honored to be Casey's mom and I will never stop missing him. A part of me died when Casey died. Another part of me was born. That's that's uh, no truer words ever spoken. Thanks for being with me today, Deb. Thank you for having me on your show, too. And I really appreciate the time to uh, speak with you. And I, Absolutely. I feel like I've taken more steps towards healing just by talking today. Thank you. Wonderful. Next week, I'll have Sheila Kohler. She's a celebrated author of fiction and nonfiction, and her memoir, Once We Were Sisters, tells the story of the relationship we ha- she had with her sister who died young in an accident likely related to her abusive marriage. Sheila says every novel she's written has her sister as the main character. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.